The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. All right, well, good evening, Maranatha. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open it. Tonight, we're in Joshua 23, and the title of my message for you is A Life Well Lived. Now, above the chapter or the chapter heading, you know how the Bible gives uh, various chapter headings. These were put in later, but above this chapter, it says this in my Bible, Joshua's farewell to the leaders. So these then are some of Joshua's final words to the leadership of the nation of Israel. And when a person knows that their time is short, they tend to measure their words more carefully, and everything they say tends to carry more weight. Uh, Oftentimes, people's final words are poignant. Other times, they're touching. And then sometimes, believe it or not, their final words are flippant. But final words are almost always memorable. And that would certainly be the case as it relates to Joshua here in the last two chapters of the book that bears his name. You see, this chapter affords us the unique opportunity of eavesdropping on some of the final words of a a godly man and a great leader. This is kind of the equivalent of getting to sit down with like a Billy Graham and have him just pour into you some of his life lessons, some of the most valuable things that he's learned. You see, over the course of his life, Joshua had served the Lord in a number of different capacities. He got his start serving as a soldier in Moses' army. You might recall that he was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent in to originally spy out the land and come back with a report. And of course, only he and Caleb came back with a positive report. But after that time serving in Moses' army, he went on to serve as Moses' personal assistant for many, many years. That was his job and his title. He was Moses' right-hand man. And as such, he would have been the guy running and doing the Starbucks runs and, and taking notes during all of Moses' big, important meetings. And then after Moses passed away, Joshua served the Lord in another capacity, and it opened the door for him to serve by leading the nation in their conquest of the land of promise. And the thing to really know about Joshua is that in every one of these contexts, he was absolutely faithful to the Lord. In fact, if you were to affix a title Above the chapter, every chapter in Joshua's life, you could write that word, faithful, over and over and over again. That's who Joshua was. And under his incredible leadership, the Israelites were eventually able to capture the majority of the land of promise. And so in the final years of his life, he got to slow down and kick his feet up and take it easy. And that's where our story picks up. So we're going to go ahead and read through the whole chapter, Joshua 23. It says, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all of Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials. And he said to them, I'm really old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. And it was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. 
He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So be very strong and be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. And do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Don't invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Hallelujah and amen. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. The Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. So these are some of Joshua's final words. And I love how the whole chapter begins with, with this phrase, after a long time had passed. In, in some of your translations, it might say this, the years rolled by. And isn't that just a fitting description of how life goes? Like just the other day, I went surfing. And while I was out in the water, I happened to see a guy that looked familiar to me and I couldn't quite put it together. But then the more we sat out there waiting for waves, I, I finally was able to put it together. And he was a guy I went to high school with uh, uh, really over 20 years ago now. And so we started catching and, and it was crazy. I mean, I, we were looking at each other and we were just saying, man, where has the time gone? You know, life just flies by. It really does. It seems like just yesterday we were in high school together. And I mean, just ask anyone in here who's in their 60s or 70s or 80s and ask them about life and they'll tell you that it goes by in a snap of a finger. Just blink and one minute you're 20 and the next you're old. And certainly that was the case with Joshua. As we catch up with him here in, in Joshua 23, he's 110 years old. Now that's old according to anybody, right? And so he begins his speech in this memorable way, in verse 2, he says, I'm really old. And when you're 110 years old, you can say stuff like that. You don't need a catchy kind of introduction. You just roll with whatever you're feeling in the moment. So he says, I'm really old. And then later on in verse 14, he talks about how he's getting ready to go the way of all the earth. And this is his way of saying, I'm getting ready to die. And it had this effect on him. He realized his time was short. And so he, it spurred him, it motivated him to want to gather these elders, these leaders, these officials, and, and to pour into them these all-important truths while there was still time. In a way, I guess you could say that this chapter represents a kind of 
passing of the baton of leadership from Joshua to these other leaders, these faithful men who had served with him and alongside of him for all these years. Years before, it had been he who was receiving the baton of leadership from Moses. And that's where our book began. Now it was his turn to pass it on. Now this metaphor, this picture I'm trying to paint for you guys of life being like a relay race where one generation passes the baton to the next, it's, it's a familiar picture that gets painted for us in scripture. Actually, in Hebrews chapter 12, that's one place where we read about it. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told to run with endurance or perseverance, the race that has been set before us. Now, on the one hand, you could read that verse and conclude that that verse describes a solo race, right? We're to each run the unique race that has been set before us. And so the idea is, I have my race to run, and it's going to look different than the race God has called you to run. And so there's a sense in which that certainly rings true and applies. But there's another sense in which I believe this race that is pictured for us in Scripture, that is typical of life. It, it's, it's, a, it's a group effort. It's a crowd event. It's a relay race. And Hebrews alludes to that. It talks about this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and that is cheering us on. If you can picture kind of heaven with all of these grandstands and you have all of these saints from generations gone by and they're all up there and they're cheering us on as we run our leg of the race. And it's as though they've already run their race and they finished their course and they took the gospel, the baton of the gospel, and they ran as hard and as fast as they could, bringing it with them to the ends of the earth. And then they passed that baton on to the next generation and so on and so forth. Each successive generation has done the same thing. And now that previous generation has handed it to us. And right now it's our turn to run. And so we take the baton of the gospel and we run with it as far and as fast as we can. But there's coming a day and it's coming soon when it'll be our turn to pass it off to the next generation. And that's where Joshua found himself here. He had done a good job. He was a faithful man. He served the Lord wholeheartedly, but he was ready to pass on the baton. Now, I did a little reading about this and in any relay race, one of the most critical sections is the passing of the baton. And it has to happen within a particular area. It could, you can't just pass it wherever you want. It has to happen in this particular area that they describe as the exchange zone. And so the runner that's getting ready to take the baton takes off running at a prescribed time. And the other runner catches up to him. And as his hand goes back, he grabs the baton. And then he or she takes off for the next leg of the race. And it's really critical that that transition is smooth and that handoff goes well. Because if the baton gets dropped or if the baton gets passed too late or too early or anything like that, then the race is all but over for that team. So a, a good handoff is critical. And Joshua, being the great leader that he was, he understood the importance of a good handoff. He wanted to give the next generation a good running start. And so he's handing the baton off to them and giving them some space to run. Specifically, as we look at this speech, there are really three themes that emerge that I want to pick apart with you guys. Um, 
And, and we're not going to be looking at it sequentially like we typically would in a Bible study. We'd like to go verse by verse around here. But this time, with this speech, I thought it would be fun to, to pull out several themes and kind of hopscotch our way through the text. And so as we look at this speech that Joshua gives, the first thing I want you to note is he tells his leaders to remember the Lord's faithfulness. Now, we all need reminders in our lives. If you're like me, You've got all kinds of reminders built into your phone and alarms that remind you about upcoming appointments or meetings that you have scheduled. I mean, I have all kinds of alarms. I hate to miss stuff. And so I'm really good about setting those reminders. I bet your phone's the same way. Now, why do we need that stuff? Well, it's obvious, right? We, we have this tendency to forget. It's human nature to forget things. And it's not hard to prove. I mean, have you ever gone to the store to buy something, and you do some shopping around, and you get home only to realize that you forgot to buy the very thing that you went to the store to buy in the first place? We've all been there, right? We forget stuff. We forget names, and we forget appointments, and we forget birthdays and anniversaries, hopefully not anniversaries, and we forget where we parked our car and where we put our keys and all kinds of other stuff. And here's another place where our propensity as people to forget things comes into play. It happens in our relationship with the Lord. We forget God's faithfulness. We forget his promises. We forget his goodness. We forget his warnings, which is why the scriptures are filled with an emphasis on remembering. And we see this emphasis on display throughout Joshua's speech. In verse 3, he says this, you yourselves have seen everything that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, how it was the Lord who fought for you. Then in verse 9, he adds this, the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. And to this day, no one has been able to withstand you. Then in verse 10, he jumps down there and he says, one of you routed a thousand because the Lord was fighting for you. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's jogging their memory and telling them, you were there. Remember how it went down. It was totally God. He was the one who caused the walls of Jericho to fall. He was the one who caused the sun to stand still. He was the one that caused the hail to take out the opposing army. It was the Lord. He's been so faithful to us. And the entire chapter is peppered with these reminders of God's faithfulness every step along their journey. And then you jump down to verse 14, and he reminds them again of God's faithfulness when he says, hey, you yourselves know full well with all your heart and soul that not one, not one of God's good promises has failed you. Every one of them has been fulfilled. And so here again, it's another reminder of the fact that God is faithful. We need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. The Lord is so faithful, and every one of his promises comes to pass in our lives. Now, that should come as a shock to you, because in the world we live in, it's been driven into us, into our psyche through just life and experiences, this, this creed that says promises are made to be what? Broken, right? And so we, we see this and we experience it almost every day, whether it's a kid looking at their mom or dad and saying, but you promised. Or whether it's maybe a jilted spouse looking at their partner and saying, but you promised till death do us part. Or maybe it's a 
disenfranchised political party looking at their candidate and saying, but during the campaign, you promised us these things. And each and every time, it drives home this truth that in this life, promises are seldom kept. However, whenever God makes a promise, you need to know that you can take that promise to the bank because every single promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Oh, and by the way, there are about 7,000 of those promises in the Bible. Each and every one of them is like a blank check just waiting to be cashed by you and me. So remember the Lord. That's the first theme. Remember his promises. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his power. And remember his goodness. Now, moving on, we're going to now address the second theme of this speech that Joshua gives to his leaders. And it's this. He offers or extends to them a warning about the danger of spiritually drifting away from the Lord. And we see this beginning in verse 7, where he says, don't associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. Now jump down to verse 12. He picks up the theme again there when he says, and if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you can be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations, but they will become snares and traps for you. Notice how it all starts with this warning against associating with the surviving peoples from these nations that were peppered around Israel. And you might think, well, gosh, that sounds kind of hardcore. That's a little bit harsh, don't you think? Don't even associate with them. It might sound that way, but it was an important admonition, and I'll tell you why. Joshua knew something that we need to learn, and it's this sin. Sin is a slippery slope. And it never leaves you in one spot. You give the devil an inch, and he's going to take a mile. And he knew that if the Israelites associated with these godless nations, that it wouldn't be long before they were making alliances with them and intermarrying with them and ultimately bowing down before these false gods, and that that, in turn, would cause the Lord to come against them, and they would be caught in this snare and in this trap. So that's this digression that we see happening here. It's this drift away from the Lord. And, and Joshua could feel the seeds of it beginning to take root in the hearts of his leaders, even at this early stage. And so he speaks to that and warns them against it. Now, I can feel some of you pushing back on this, I, especially from the young people in here. I know that a lot of you guys are probably thinking, like, what's the big deal? I mean, just because I hang out with someone doesn't mean necessarily that I'm going to end up doing what they're doing. It's not really a big deal. Well, watch out what you say. You see, you might think that, but the truth is, and I've been at this for a while, life and experience have taught me that when you hang out with the wrong crowd continually, you'll end up doing the wrong thing eventually. Let me say that again. If you keep hanging out with the wrong crowd continually, you'll end up doing the wrong thing eventually. Now, Joshua, of course, knew that which is why he's so stern with his warning. Here's how the Bible puts it. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. The bottom line, folks, is this. The moment we stop pursuing after the Lord is the moment we start drifting away from the Lord. 
And that's really the heart of what Joshua is saying here. The moment you stop pursuing after the Lord is the moment you start drifting away from the Lord. Now, I want to dig into that word drift because I think it's an interesting word. It doesn't describe a sudden shift in position, but rather a slow and gradual change or process. When something drifts from its original position, it's being carried along without any guidance or control. And living here in Southern California, we have like the perfect example of this. And a quick story to drive home the, the point. Um, not too long ago, I went surfing with my son, Ben, who's here tonight. And we were down at Del Mar Beach, 25th Street is where we were that morning. And on that particular morning, there was a pretty strong current. But we thought we were doing OK. We paddled out at 25th Street. But by the time we came in, a little over an hour and a half later, we had drifted all the way down to almost, and I'm not kidding or exaggerating, we were like at 17th or close to 15th Street, which means that in a little over an hour's time, that, that current that wasn't so strong, it just it was almost imperceptible. And yet it pulled us all the way down 10 blocks. And the same thing often happens in people's spiritual lives as well. The current is almost imperceptible. Most of the time, you don't even realize it's happening. Maybe you go a couple of days without reading your Bible, and a couple of days turns into a couple of weeks, and you find that your appetite for the things of this world begins to outstrip your appetite for the things of the Lord, and you drift. Or maybe you stop coming to church, and that stops being a priority for you. And it happens once, and you think it's not a big deal. And then it becomes a bit of a pattern. And before you know it, your schedule is so cluttered with stuff, and you no longer have time. And you start cutting out the commitments you made to serve in various ministries. And now you're just full on drifting away from the Lord. You start dating a person, and sure, they're not a Christian, but they're a super nice guy, or they're a super nice girl, and, and they encourage you to pursue your faith, and so you think it's good, and, and, and you go along with that for a while, but over time, it becomes less and less a priority for, for you, and you drift. Listen, far too many Christians start out strong but somewhere along the way, they get entangled with something or someone, and they end up gradually drifting away. This is what makes Joshua's message so poignant, so pertinent. I love how the book of Hebrews puts it. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, pay the most careful attention to what you have heard so that you don't drift away. Notice what he says there. We've got to pay attention. Be alert, because drift happens. And note this, you never drift in positive directions. No one has ever drifted towards the Lord. It's like, wow, you're really on fire. What happened? I don't know. It just kind of just happened. <laughs> we only drift towards negative things. Is that the truth? Somebody say amen if that's true. And we drift away from the Lord. Following Jesus is something that takes intentionality. It's something that requires discipline. And it has to be a, a matter of our will. So as we get ready to close this evening, I want, I want to wrestle through this question. OK, here, so far, Joshua has talked about the danger of spiritual amnesia, forgetting the faithfulness of God. And he's talked about the danger of spiritual drift, just kind of drifting away from the Lord. So how do we actively combat those two things in our lives? What can we do proactively 
to fight off spiritual amnesia and to fight off spiritual drift. And I feel like the answer is right there in front of us in verses 6 and 8. In verse 6, he says, be strong. No, no, no. Be very strong and careful to obey. Everybody say obey. It's a four-letter word, obey. Obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning to the right or to the left. So you obey the Lord. Now, this is almost a carbon copy of what the Lord told Joshua when he was just starting out in his new role as the leader of the nation. If you go all the way back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, that's where God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous and follow the word of the Lord and don't turn to the right or the left. I mean, it's almost verbatim what Joshua says here. And evidently, Joshua had lived by those words every day from that first day until his 110th birthday, and they had served him well. And so now he's passing them on to the next generation. Obey the Lord. Just do what the Bible says. So that's the first thing. And then in verse 8, he adds this. So this is kind of sandwiching that um, scripture that talks about not drifting away. In verse 8, he says, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God, even as you have until now. Obey the Lord and hold fast to the Lord. Obey the Lord and hold fast to the Lord. Now, to hold fast, you could translate that word in a couple of different ways. It literally could be translated, cling to the Lord. Or it could be translated, cleave unto the Lord. Or it could be translated, be glued together with the Lord. And I just love every picture that every one of those definitions paints. So I just want to work my way through each of them as we close this evening. If this is the most important part, I mean, this is how we stave off forgetfulness. This is how we fight against spiritual lethargy and apathy and drifting away from the Lord. So how do I cling to the Lord? What does that mean? Well, number one, or hold fast to the Lord. Number one, it means to cling to the Lord. Now, I have a, a thought um, about this because last night when I came home from work, it was perfect. My son, Andrew, runs up to me and he gives me this big hug, which is just the best experience. And then he doesn't let go, but rather what he does is he slides down my body and wraps himself around my right leg like a starfish. And then he's like, Hattie, come here. That's his younger sister. And so Hattie comes running down the stairs, and she wraps herself like a starfish around my left leg. Now I've got two kids strapped onto me. And so what am I to do? Of course, I start stomping around like I'm Godzilla or something. And they're, they're going up and down, and they're just clinging on to me for dear life. And I thought, this is, this is too fun. This is, this is what it means. This is what this scripture is talking about, to cling to the Lord. How many of us want a little bit of Jesus in our lives? But we want to kind of hold him at arm's length, too. We don't want him telling us to do uh, what to do in every circumstance, you know. And so we, we stiff arm God in some areas, and we draw close to God in other areas. And, and Joshua is saying, you can't do it like that. You can't hold him at arm's length. You can't get just close enough, but a little far away so you can still do some of the things you want to without him. He's saying, cling to the Lord. Hold on to him and don't let go. You know, remember that story about Jacob in the Old Testament where he, he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. It was, it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And he, wouldn't, he refused to let go. And that's how we need to be with the Lord. I'm not letting go. Because there's a blessing in that. Yeah. 
So cling to the Lord. To hold fast is to cling to him. But then the second definition is to cleave unto the Lord. Now, what is that word? We don't really use that word much in, in our modern context. Well, there's the scripture all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. I think it's verse 24. And it says this, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. So in that context, the word cleave is speaking of the intimacy enjoyed between a husband and wife in marriage. Now, that's a whole nother level of closeness. Now we're talking about oneness coming together and just totally melting into one another and experiencing total and complete oneness. That's the picture here. It's total intimacy with the Lord, cleaving unto the Lord, binding ourselves to him. But then there's a third definition, and it means to be glued together with the Lord. Now, this is, this is cool, too, because it paints a different picture for us. I mean, we'll talk about being glued to our screens or glued to our phones. You know, there's a, a thing on your phone that you can go into, and it'll tell you how much time you've spent on your phone, how many times you've picked it up in the day. It's a scary, scary exercise. I don't know if I recommend it, but you should maybe do it. We're glued to our screens. We're glued to our phones. We're glued to the game. How about we start working on being glued to Jesus? Now, this is so cool because when, when you glue something, I, I went back and did a little reading on this too and discovered that there's actual, actually a, a chemical change that occurs between the glue and the object being glued so that they, they are changed on a molecular level. They get fused together. That's why when you rip something off, you take some of the old paper with it because it's the, the molecules themselves have been changed. But there's also a physical thing that happens where the glue goes in and it makes its way into all the tiny little nooks and crevices and crannies of the paper or whatever, the wood, whatever you're gluing, and it expands there. And again, this is the picture of what God wants for us and with us. He wants to change us, to be so one with us that we are changed on a biological level. He wants us to be new creations in Christ where we're not thinking in the old patterns or in the old ways. We're not driven by the old desires. We're not chained by the old lusts, but we have new passions and new desires for God and for his kingdom. And he comes in and he takes hold of every nook and cranny and crevice, and he just takes over. So this is the speech. Joshua says, remember the Lord. Watch out for spiritual drift and cling to Jesus. And then just one more thought in verse 11. And be careful to love the Lord your God. It really is all about love. A long time ago, Tina Turner sang, what's love got to do with it? And Joshua would say, everything. <laughs> it's all about love. This is what God is after. He's after your heart. You see, so often I think so many preachers get this wrong and, and we send the wrong idea out to people because so many preachers make Christianity all about the things you're not supposed to do. And they reduce Christianity down to a list of don'ts. And you better not. And you better watch out. You better not pow. You better not cry because Jesus Christ is up in the sky. And, and it's like he's, he's looking for people to bust. And let me tell you something. Christianity at its core is not primarily supposed to be about avoiding sin. Did you hear that? 
Christianity is not just about avoiding sin. Christianity is about falling in love with Jesus. And once you fall in love with Jesus, you'll say you'll be so far away from sin, it won't be any issue for you. On that, on that note, I just feel like preaching a little bit if you don't mind. Heaven, heaven is not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place that is set aside for people who want to spend time with Jesus. So if you don't love Jesus now, then you might not even like heaven then. It really is all about Jesus. And it's about loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember there was a guy that came to Jesus, a, a scribe, and the Lord just keeps bringing this scripture to my heart. And the, the scribe said, what is, what is the most important commandment? What does God want? for us, from us. How do I find acceptance with God? Remember what Jesus said. This is it. This is the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is what God is after. Now, maybe you're here tonight, and you would say, you know, I used to be, me and Jesus, we used to be tight. We used to be close. I used to get up in the morning and have worship songs playing like the soundtrack to my life. And, and it was sweet times between me and Jesus. And I was praying all the time. And I was sharing my faith. And I was reading the word. And it was like the ink was kind of wet almost because it was so applicable to the things that I was dealing with. But, but I've drifted. And I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I used to be. What can I do? What should I do? And the solution to that is so beautifully simple. The Bible says return. You know, as many times as it calls us to turn from our wicked ways, it tells us just as many times to return because we have this proclivity to run back to things that are hurtful and harmful to us. And so the Bible says over and over again to return. Listen to this scripture. This is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. This is the Lord. Maybe you can just close your eyes and listen to this. Maybe you'll hear the word of the Lord as he relays this message to you. And, and it could be that this whole night and this whole, your whole life was leading up to this moment so that you could hear this word from a God who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross in your place. And the Bible talks about how he absorbed our sin and our guilt and our shame. And he died the death that we deserve so that we could enjoy the life that he has. And we could be made heirs and sons and daughters and be brought into his family. And so the Lord speaks to his people through the prophet Malachi. And he says, I am God. Yes, I am. I haven't changed. And because I haven't changed, you, the descendants of Jacob, haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing I've told you. But return to me so I can return to you, says the God of angel armies. Return to me so I can return to you. If you and God aren't in the place that you want to be or that you used to be, it's not he who left. It's you. And so it's up to you to return. But if you'll take one, one step in his direction, you'll find him taking the other 99 towards you. And like that story of the prodigal son, when the father saw his son a long way off, the Bible tells us, he picked up his robe and he ran to his wayward son.
who was making his way home. And the Bible tells us that he smothered him with kisses and he took his ring off his finger and he put it on his son's hand and he took the robe off his back and he draped his son in his robe even as Jesus robes us in his righteousness. And then he called to one of his servants, go and fetch the, the fattened calf and we've got we've to have a bar- barbecue. We've got a party like it's 1999 tonight because my son who was dead is alive. And Jesus says there's great rejoicing in heaven over even one sinner when they repent. And so the Lord is calling some of you home tonight. He's calling you back to himself. You've drifted. You know you've drifted. And God wants to bring you back. Jesus, I pray that you would draw many of us back. We're going to move into a time of worship. And as we worship the Lord, as we do each and every Wednesday, we have the elements that have been passed out to you. And this is time for you where you get to go before the Lord and you get to come back to the foot of the cross and you get to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Maybe you've allowed your walk with God to become a checklist where you are avoiding certain things and trying to make sure you check off all the boxes and dot all your I's and cross all your T's, but your heart has stopped beating for Jesus and he's calling you back to himself. He's saying, remember, remember from whence you've fallen. Repent and do again the first works. Fall in love with me all over again. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.